0: Well, it's, it's great to be with you here again, a uh, second Sunday, looking at God's word together. If we haven't met, my name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Bible Church. I work with our evangelism and, and our discipleship ministries. Pastor Steve, as we mentioned last week, is out of town here for a couple weeks, but he will be back next week and he will be starting his series through the book of Daniel. I've mentioned that a few times here and really looking forward to that. It should be a, a great study. Uh, now, last week, I mentioned that I grew up in Nebraska, but I didn't say very much about my family. We grew up on a farm, so it was my parents, myself, and then I also have a younger brother. His name's Spencer, uh, and Spencer and I, you know, when we were growing up, we had this this little thing we like to do, this kind of ongoing competition where we would try to see who had the best way of getting out of our chores. Okay, we had all this stuff we were supposed to do, mom and dad said, and we were always trying to get out of it. I know it's not the greatest perspective on life, but that's what we tried to do. But we had a twist. Not only did we try to just get out of it, but our ultimate goal was to pin it on the other guy. I didn't want to just not do it. I wanted him to have to do it, and I'm pretty. he felt the same way. So we had this ongoing competition. Uh, for example, we tried to manipulate circumstances, and one way this played out was You'd come home from the store, a car full of groceries and all these things, and our job was to unload. Well, every time we came home, conveniently, one of us had to use the restroom immediately and would only reemerge once all the work was done. But you can't hang out in the bathroom forever, right? So we had to get even more creative than that. And my favorite route to go about this was when we finally figured out the classic strategy of downplaying Our abilities. Oh, actually, you wouldn't want me to do that. I'm no good at unloading the groceries. Yeah, I'd probably just mess it up. You you have seen this all play out, right? Mom and dad told us, hey, someone needs to mow the yard. One of you guys, um, you can figure it out. Someone needs to do it. Well, I would love to help mow the yard. I really want to, but... You probably wouldn't want me to, actually. I, I think I'd probably mess it up. In fact, Spencer's really good at mowing the yard. Why don't I just go ahead and let him do it? I'm sure you can imagine me and him as younger, uh, younger kids graciously deferring to one another. Oh, no, no, no. You, you are much better than I am. I, again, I'd love to help, but uh, I think it'd be better if you do it this time. You know, I actually, it, it worked some of the time. I actually talked to my parents about this recently, and they said they vividly remember us trying to play out our little schemes. And apparently knew exactly what we were trying to do. <laughs> and, of course, thought it was kind of ridiculous. But isn't that how we actually feel sometimes in life? We see another person doing a certain task or fulfilling a certain role, and we think to ourselves, you know, I don't think I could do that. In fact, I might mess it up. Maybe I just should let someone else do that. Ever thought that before? (laughs) When it comes to the Christian life, particularly our witness, sharing the gospel message, maybe this is even our default We begin thinking things like, well, sure, Jesus can share the gospel. You know, we saw that last week. Or or a missionary could share with an unbeliever, but I don't know. I I don't know if I could say the right things. I get pretty nervous, and nobody, when I do try, seems to respond to me anyway. You see, this line of thinking, which (laughs) I've been down many times, it's not exactly an encouragement in our witness, is it? In fact, it's, it's these kinds of thoughts that leave us concluding, you know, maybe I'm just not good at it. And maybe it'd be better if someone else did it. Well, if you're like me and have ever felt any of this kind of tension, uh, ill-equipped, inadequate, unable to effectively share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus, then you're in the right place this morning. Because we're going to see in our text today from Jesus himself... He's going to give the disciples a lesson on what it actually means to join him on mission. And to do so with the right perspective. So this morning we're going to pick it back up in John chapter 4. You can turn there in your copy of the scriptures. And we're going to read the second half of our story. Verses 27 through 42. And in this text we're going to see one simple fact. That God wants everyone to be a part of his worldwide mission. God wants everyone to be a part of his worldwide mission. Now, as you remember where we are in the book of John, the big picture, the story that we're reading this week, commonly known as the woman at the well, is really in contrast to that story we've mentioned in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, his famous conversation with Jesus. And let's just take a moment as we review to just see how these two conversations compare. One of these happened in the secret of night, while the other was in the full light of day. One involved a highly respected religious leader, and the other a social outcast from a misguided religious tradition. One of these people seemed to have it all together, and the other one was known for the brokenness in her life. And this morning we're going to see that one believed, and one didn't. Now, we might expect the pious religious leader to be the one who figured it out, who, who believed in Jesus. But instead, we're going to see this morning that it was the Samaritan woman. And in that irony, we begin again to see this emphasis, emphasis on not just who the gospel is for. We saw last week it's for everybody, but also who he can use as he seeks to accomplish his mission and again the answer is everybody. So let's pick up starting in chapter 4 verse 27. This is right after Jesus had had a gospel conversation with this woman, right? Interacting with her in just a normal everyday way, treating her as a real human being. They'd met, they just met at a well and he had just revealed to her who he truly was, the I am. And it's right at that moment their conversation is interrupted. Look at verse 27 through 30. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Now, last week, we really focused on how significant this simple conversation was. And the text is emphasizing it here one more time as well. In just talking to this lady, Jesus is crossing crossing social, racial, religious barriers. All for the sake of the gospel. He he had no problem with her at all. But with the disciples, we're going to see the flip side of this. The woman definitely perceived that there was a barrier. And it's a barrier that the disciples bought into as well. And I think this is an important distinction. We briefly mentioned it last week. But we may here today be honestly, honestly may be able to say, we don't have any problem with this person or that person. But the reality is is they may still perceive some disconnect, some barrier. And we mentioned that in, in intentionally reaching out to those people, it may have a significant impact for them one we might not even realize or recognize and as we mentioned last week in the surprise is often an opportunity but the disciples here on the other hand they they were looking at it all wrong in verse 27 a lot of trans, several translations say that they're shocked i mean they just cannot believe that jesus is talking to her they do not understand what what in the world is going on here and in their minds they ask the ironic question if you look in verse 27 They say, Jesus, why are you talking to her? I mean, what do you you want? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? What do you want, Jesus? I, I think we heard the answer to that question last week, didn't we? In verse 23, what Jesus wants is what the Father wants. True worshipers. Which is not exactly the attitude that these disciples are having. But the disciples, they're falling right in line with the all-too-common response to Jesus. Why are you hanging out with those people? We often think of the the infamous scene where the Pharisees were muttering about Jesus. Saying, you know, you're having dinner with these sinners. But here it's coming from his very own disciples. Although they probably wisely just keep it to themselves. But it's at this point that the actual conversation between Jesus and the woman has ended. And he left her with those game-changing words, I am. But she isn't done talking about it yet. Presumably so excited about what was just revealed to her. I mean, I imagine her, when Jesus says that, I am, the one who's speaking to you, I am. Her eyes get wide, she steps back, drops her pot, and runs back into town. And isn't it interesting? She didn't bring any water back, but she's certainly not coming empty handed. She's bringing the message of Christ to this village. And running into town, she finds the community leaders half out of breath saying, you've got to come see this guy. He knew all my business. Could this be the one? Now, I think verse 29, if we look at that carefully, is best translated by the net, the net translation. And it reads, surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? Set up as a negative question, expecting a negative answer. In fact, that's how the Greek structures it. Now, is she doubting? Well, maybe, or maybe she is being very bold, but very wise. See, this gal is running right up to the town leadership, who no doubt knew all about her rocky past, testifying about Jesus, but doing so with a question. You know, a a rightly timed question can be powerful, can't it? That's a theme we've actually seen in this very story. But in just a few verses, we just read a few verses here. We already begin to see the amazing spread, growth, exponential expansion that God can work of the gospel through just a simple conversation. I mean, look at verse 30. It says that this whole town was coming out to see him. The whole area was moved with interest in Christ because of this gal's testimony. Now, there's there's more of this story to come, but John is going to shift our focus back to the disciples, where Jesus is going to do some teaching on our witness. You know, last week we saw a really great example of this play out in real life, but the disciples, they were at the store. They missed the whole thing. And so Jesus is going to use this opportunity as a teaching moment to give us to give them and us a mini lesson on some principles, some broader truth about our mission and our witness. I'm going to read what he says here and and track with through verse 31 through 38 as he gives this lesson. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored and others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. Now remember the original premise for the whole situation. Is these guys were on a journey. They were tired. It was time for a break. And they needed lunch. So the disciples. They come back from the store. And they say hey look Jesus we got the sandwiches. Let's let's dig in. And once again with a profoundly simple response. Jesus takes the conversation to a whole other level. He says I have food you don't even know about. Now, at first glance, it's kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? And the disciples, uh, they begin wondering, you know, did somebody bring him something? Is there a food truck around here we didn't see? What, what is the world is going on? And these disciples, just like the woman initially, and just like Nicodemus, can only think about what Jesus is saying in strictly physical terms. Now, of course, Jesus is fully God and fully human, so he did drink water, he did eat lunch. But do you remember that little verse that says, man does not live by bread alone? Jesus says, by doing the will of God, his mission, there was a greater sustenance, a greater satisfaction than whatever lunch these guys had brought back to him. And it's with this that Jesus transitions into a series of illustrations to help his disciples, and I think to help us as well, think properly about witness and about mission. Some foundational truth about how God is planned and designed to use us as he seeks to reach the world. And I think it gives us a powerful perspective when we begin to feel we might not be up for the task. So I see three key truths here in verse 31 through 38 that Jesus is bringing out. And the first one I've already mentioned. That this work, this mission is his will. This work is his will. And it's being a part of that. That Jesus says, that's what filled him up. The food that the disciples didn't know about. And so right off the bat, we get a total focus change here. Because this whole witness thing, it's not my mission or or even our mission. This is God's mission. It's, It's his work and it's his will. And he invites us to participate in it. He wants us to participate in it. And when you think about the life of Christ, I mean, he totally embodied this. Remember back to Luke 19, where he explicitly says, the reason that I came here was to seek and to save the lost. That is why I'm here on earth, is to seek and to save the lost. And his whole ministry was pressing towards the cross, the ultimate picture of God's mission of salvation. He says that was his dinner. You might say it's his passion, his drive. It's to do the will of him who sent him. Now, I really love a good meal. I really do. Probably too much so, actually. And, and in fact, trying out little dives and new restaurants is probably Charity, my wife and I's favorite hobby. Even though I fully recognize that eating is not a good hobby. We absolutely love it. It's, it's awesome, especially... When the food is just really good. We love that. I mean think to yourself. The best meal you've ever had in your life. It's probably hard to even choose right. Uh, but think about that feeling. When you finish. And that satisfied drop of the napkin. Boy nothing compares huh. Probably makes you want to just go to lunch right now. But. Jesus is saying. Using this everyday language. That there's a satisfaction. A sustenance. A nourishment. In participating in the mission of God. That even the best meal can't compare with. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. This work is his will. Now the second truth that Jesus brings out in this discussion. Is in verse 35. And he uses farming imagery. To remind his disciples. That it's, it's harvest time. And it's harvest time Now. Presumably, they were at a time in the year where people weren't really thinking about harvest all that much. Kind of like us right now. We don't talk all that much about harvesting corn and beans in July. Uh, and I'm guessing you probably don't, didn't see too many people with their combines out on your way in. It's just There's a schedule. In farming, you plant at this time and, and you harvest at this time. But Jesus says when it comes to his mission, boy, just forget your calendars. And it also seems even more than in verse 35 that he's quoting some sort of proverb. Do you see how that reads? He says, "Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest?" I think the idea there is, yeah, I still got four months. I don't got to worry about that. Uh, I, there's not a real urgency here. We can delay. Right? We'll get to it when the time comes. But Jesus is calling his disciples to open their eyes, to lift up their eyes, because the harvest is ready now I mean picture yourself as at the scene as he said this they're at this well and they're surrounded by probably barley fields or wheat fields and we already know that the men from the village are walking towards them and Jesus is saying lift up your eyes and see the harvest is ready it's quite a scene and I think it's a call to spiritual vision to recognize that God is at work even now I think that often I I try to figure out my own harvest calendar. It doesn't always feel like there's lots of opportunities to share. or, Or even if there are, that people are really responding. But Jesus is telling us to look up. That there are, in fact, more opportunities than we think. Because the harvest is now. And it's interesting because Jesus emphasizes this over and over. If you think back again to Luke, this time chapter 10... You remember when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples and what does he tell them to pray for? He says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. It's already ready to go. You need to pray for workers. He says, the harvest isn't the issue. It's it's we need people. Because the harvest is now. Now, in verse 36, Jesus will transition into his final truth in this mini lesson, reminding his disciples again with the same farming language that whether you plant or harvest or or you do both, you can still rejoice and you can rejoice together. Because being on mission is a team effort. Being on mission, it's a team effort. I mean, what an encouraging reminder that we're not in this thing on our own. Jesus is saying that's Someone is sowing the seed. And often it's another person altogether who's reaping. In our witness we will rarely do both with any given relationship. Now again, remember the scene where they're at. The people from the village were heading their way and the disciples, they were about to spend two days leading this entire region to Jesus and, and discipling them. But they had never shared with anyone there. They had never done any sowing in this area. That's something that Jesus had just done. And then the woman had done. Yet they would be partaking in the reaping. And I think wrapping our minds around what Jesus is saying here is a total game changer. Because that's not our natural perspective. I mean, I haven't lived on a farm in a couple of years at this point. But... My understanding is that most farmers don't just let other people harvest their fields. You know, I did all, I planted this field and I did all the work all year, but you know, go for it. If you want to, you know, you, you can harvest it. It's all yours. I've never, I've never heard of it happening that way. But Jesus says specifically in verse 37 in this case, with our witness, with His mission, it is how it works. I mean, think about how powerful this is in real life maybe it seems like you, you try to share with people and, and no one really ever responds or maybe even cares but if what jesus is saying is true then maybe someday god will use another person in their life and you got to be a part of it so whether you sow or you reap you rejoice and we rejoice together Because we're a part of what God is doing. There's a story of a man from Australia. His name was Frank Jenner. And Frank, he he came to know the Lord and he had this conviction. You know what? I'm going to share the gospel with somebody every single day. It's quite a conviction. And he set out to do it. He would hang out on this busy street and whoever would talk to him, he'd try to share with. And he did this faithfully for over 30 years. It's pretty unbelievable. In fact, it's estimated that he shared one-on-one, face-to-face, with over 100,000 people. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. But you know what, Frank? He never knew of one single person continuing on for Christ beyond that conversation of living for Jesus. He never knew of a single one. And it was only a few years before he died that, that someone started piecing together some stories. I mean, if you share with 100,000 people, the word gets around at some point. And someone started piecing this together and realized that, in fact, dozens, even, even hundreds of people had later given their life to Christ. In part because of that initial conversation. Wasn't always right there when he was talking to them. But down the road, God used that in their life to accomplish His work, because of that conversation, in part with Mr. Jenner. I mean, think of our own lives. How many people poured into your life for the sake of the gospel? Maybe grandparents, parents, random speakers on TV and the radio, pastors, books you read, and maybe it was it was it could have been any given one of those people that was actually there, or somebody altogether different was that was there when it actually clicked for you because some sow and some reap in whatever role we play as verse 36 says we can rejoice together because god is at work in an infinite number of ways using all kinds of people and we get to be a part of something that lasts for eternity So that ends Jesus' mini lesson here. And let's ask, what did he show his disciples about our mission and witness? Well, I'd boil it down to this. The fact that this is, in fact, his work. And yes, it is urgent, but we're in this together. And our efforts will bear fruit in eternity. And it's because of these truths that I think we can have confidence when we say that God wants And can use anyone as a part of his mission. And he's going to prove it one more time. By circling back to the story of the woman at the well. In our remaining verses, John's going to finish this story. Showing how significant that initial conversation truly was. Emphasizing once again who this gospel is for. And who he can use. Let's read verse 39 through 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. I mean, we got a mini revival going on in Samaria here. Many from that city believed. Why? Because this social outcast, this gal with a reputation, whose name we don't even know, she shared her story, and she joined God on his mission. It's so interesting. She had no training or instruction, no degrees or experience, and probably not even any credibility. But she did have a story about how she met the Savior. And God used this woman to turn an entire region upside down for Christ. Isn't that how God so often works? Using ordinary people who have met the Savior. They tell their story and they point people to Jesus. In this passage we see the Samaritans were so moved by this whole ordeal. That they they begged Jesus to stay. So he and his disciples, they stay two more days. And it says even more, verse 41, many more believed in Jesus. And it's so cool that in verse 42, we get this one final reminder of who really is at work here. God himself. The people of the village, they tell this woman, yeah, your testimony was great. And it got us to this point. But ultimately, we believe this stuff, not just because of you. But because of Jesus himself. And notice the confession they make there. At the end of our section. Calling Jesus the savior of the world. That's a title only used by John. And it's a constant theme. Remember all the way back to John chapter 1. When John the Baptist. He sees Jesus coming towards the river. And what does he proclaim? We sang it in a song earlier. He says behold the lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of Of the world. Go back a few more verses. To when the gospels introduced. Verses 11 and 12. John says. He came to his own. And those who were his own. Did not receive him. But as many as receive him. To them he gave the right. To be called children of God. See as Paul says it. The gospel is for the Jew first. But we see that Nicodemus. and, And many of the other religious leaders. They rejected Christ. So he says for the Gentile as well. That's this woman. That's this village. And that's us. And even these Samaritans recognize that Jesus is the savior of the whole world. And we see once again that God wants everyone to be a part of his worldwide mission. And everyone can be a part. My hope this morning as we study this, this passage, it's, it's not a time for us to just say, well, do more evangelism. Uh, although that's a great thing, I hope God gives us more and more opportunities to share. But my real goal is this morning is that we would, we would have a time of encouragement as we get a renewed perspective on God's mission and how we truly can be a part of it. I mean, we can be honest today and, and admit that Sharing the gospel can just be terrifying. It really can. I'm not immune to that. I've had those exact same thoughts that we mentioned earlier. I mean, what if I say something wrong? Or, or they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. Or they just get super upset. This kind of thinking can be absolutely paralyzing. And the temptation is then to say, you know what? I might mess it up. Someone else would probably be better at it. In fact, about a week ago, I had a conversation, uh, with a person who I'm, I'm not totally sure if they're a believer. And I gotta tell you, it didn't, it didn't go great. It, it did not go as well as I would have liked. And afterwards, I kept thinking, man, I could have said this and that. And, and I honestly kind of felt like I, I messed it up. But Jesus' words here, encased in this story of the woman at the well, I believe reframed the whole discussion. Because we're reminded that this truly is His work. He's the one at work. And yeah, it's urgent. But we're in it together. And we're pressing on towards eternity. We certainly want to do our best for Christ. But we do so with the right perspective. Now maybe this morning you're still wondering, how can God use me? Or or can He use me? And I'd respond with, with another question. Who did God use in your life? Maybe it was some superstar evangelist or famous Christian that everyone would know. Maybe. But my guess is that it was a combination of ordinary faithful believers living out a life of witness to Jesus. People just like this woman who simply said, hey, you got to come see this this guy. You got to come see Jesus. Jesus. So take courage this morning, not in your own efforts or your own ability, but rather in the fact that the God of the universe, the savior of the world has invited you to be a part of his mission. He's in control and he wants to use our witness in ways that we we can't even imagine. A simple conversation resulted in an entire region coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Would we join him this morning and pray he would do the same? Now, if if you're here this morning and and you have not yet placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know the reason that we talk about sharing Jesus and and being a witness is simple. It's, It's because Jesus has changed our life. And we believe that he can change yours, too. Consider the free gift that he's offering today. We've mentioned it before, but, but Jesus gave his life on the cross, in my place, in your place, for everyone. But then he rose from the dead, and now as the living saver, he offers us new life. We don't deserve it. We certainly can't earn it. But he offers it freely. Would you turn to him this morning, and in faith accept this gift of salvation? Turn to the Savior of the world. If you'd like to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, to, to live a life of faith, uh, we would love to talk with you. Our prayer room in the back, it, it'll be open. One of our leaders and elders in there. And, and if you want to speak with someone or just get some material or anyone needs prayer for any reasons, stop. please stop in. They'd, they'd be glad to help. God invites us to be a part of his mission as the savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are in control. That you've used people in our lives to bring us to yourself. We pray that we could be a part of that mission as well. In Jesus' name, amen.